Welcome to Chase the Vase podcast, where we share stories about those who have fought to overcome addiction. Join us every Tuesday and Thursday for the latest stories, tools, and tricks to sobriety. Now, here's your host, Brock Bevel. Welcome to another episode of the Chase the Vase podcast. I'm your host, Brock Bevel. Here as a guest on the show, man, we got Zach Blakeney. Zach is a peak performance and freedom coach. This is kind of cool, man. You help men transform, right? I know you go into corporations, big businesses, you help entrepreneurs, and you help them with emotional intelligence. Yeah, essentially. Dude, that's like an oxymoron, like jumbo shrimp or military intelligence, you know? I just offended a bunch of military. That was a joke, man. We use that sometimes. I know that you have struggled with some porn addiction. Was your number one addiction that led into some other craziness in your life? And we're going to get into it. But your goal is to teach men how to find peace, purpose, and prosperity, the three Ps, which I really dig. Usually, we only hear about the seven Ps, right? Proper prior preparation prevents piss poor performance. Yeah, that's a, that's a mouthful. I like it, man. But you got to do peace, purpose, and prosperity. You have this method called the red pill, man. And I, I want to get into that a little bit. That'll be cool to, to hit on. I know you also are just helping men and women. I don't know if you do much with women, but this paradigm shift from banishing shame and guilt. And I'm excited to hear this. Before we got on, I talked about we both struggle with the same thing as pornography, man. So if we can just shed some light on this and open this conversation to where men aren't hiding, they're not being so dang secretive, and they're not talking to their significant other, I think we've made a breakthrough. So, Zach, man, tell me a little bit about you. Thanks for being on the show, and here we go. Yeah, thanks a lot, Brock. Again, it's my honor to be here, man. So, you know, this is um, something in which I'm really, really passionate about, which is actually talking about my story with pornography addiction, uh, because this is a very, very shameful addiction. I'll say that all addictions, shame is the emotion that really creates the hiding of the addiction, but um, it's taboo, right? Because it's sex, you know? So there's a lot of different things in our society that tells us that actually just create shame around sex just because of the societal norms that have created this narrative around it. So you have that. And then also for anybody who ever has dived into pornography and gets into the addicted space, escalation, dopamine escalation can bring you down to look at some things, uh, some scenery that can increase or intensify this feeling of shame. Uh, You know, with dopamine escalation, it's not that you need to look at something that's crazier or whatever. You just need to look at something that's different. And that different dialogue brings you down. For me, I was, you know, you start, you know, I'm a heterosexual man. So it's like heterosexual sex. Oh, wow. That's, that's incredible. I started looking at that when I was 14, right? So this is when I was 14 is when broadband internet came through. We just moved from dial up and then broadband. And then really there was a huge access to high speed things and video pornography started to be put onto the internet along with all other videos, but it was right in front of me, right? Scenery in front of me. And I started with the heterosexual and then that moved into, okay, this isn't doing it for me anymore. So then I move into looking at something different and something different and I can really go down the wire of everything I've looked at. But the most painful thing that actually I started to look at was homosexual sex and watching that as scenery, right? So what happened to me is, and and when I say that I went from heterosexual to homosexual, like this is going from uh, 14 into maybe like my early 20s. 
And what prompted me to start looking at it is I started to experience something called porn-induced erectile dysfunction. Now, porn-induced erectile dysfunction is when you start to remap your neurochemistry to where you no longer get uh, sexually aroused from physical touch, but I could literally open up a laptop before I even was looking at what I was about to start looking at and start getting an erection and getting aroused uh, because I had mapped my sexual desire to a computer screen. So once I was with women yeah, and I was starting to have this porn-induced erectile dysfunction, I, I literally, my ego was like, well, maybe you don't like women. And then porn was the outlet because nobody knew about, you know, what I was doing inside of there. So then uh, for, I don't know, years, I would tell you that, you know, I leaned with homosexual, heterosexual, you know, all this other type of porn that you can watch that gets really crazy. I got married when I was 28 or 27. And when I came out about my pornography addiction when I was 31, my ex-wife had basically found it on my phone. And this had been, you know, this story is so convoluted, but I'm trying to keep it at least uh, succinct. Uh, with her, I had lied about it. I had hidden it. You know, she had found it a couple of times. I had denied it that it wasn't me. My phone got hacked, all these different stories, right, that comes around that. And I actually remember the day that I was, uh, I say I came out about it, but I was forced to come out about it. Uh, me and my ex-wife, we were, had a training business together for health and fitness. And we were leaving the gym and she grabs my hand and we get to the truck. And she's like, I have something to talk to you about. And she grabs my phone and then she goes into my phone. She goes into incognito mode. And you got anybody that's listening right now, if you consistently search pornography inside of incognito mode, it'll still save your searches. And she clicked the, the, the search bar and then those lists came down and it was a bunch of homosexual sex, right? So, so she asked me, she says, what is this? I say, that's not me. She says it again. She said, this is your phone. It's in front of me. Who else could it be? What is this? That's not me. I'm going to ask you one more time, and if you lie to me again, I'm going to leave you right now. What is this? I said, that's not me a third time before I flipped and felt the fear of God inside of me and just started breaking down crying and said, it is me, and this was like this huge thing. So denied it three times. That's how far, again, inside of the addiction and denial and this split life I was living um, that it was. And of course, I have, you know, inside of my own internal mechanism of my, my mind, everything else, I was already questioning my sexuality. I was questioning like who I was. I mean, like I was saying, I was saying stuff to myself anyways, if they ever knew what I was looking at, how much shame was centered around that. And long story short in this way, um, after I went through my healing process, uh, about four or five months after going through the process of healing, just not watching porn for 90 days, remapping my subconscious, stopping having the outside influence coming in to tell me who I am. I, my porn-induced erectile dysfunction started to improve. I was able to have sex with my ex-wife for the first time without even thinking about porn imagery, which is definitely a thing of a porn addict. You'll be having sex with a partner and you'll be thinking about porn images in your head. And I also started to realize that I had no sexual attraction to men in real life. I was like, "There's, I love women, right? So this is something that can happen with pornography addiction. And, and we also see this happen in modern-day modern media. What you choose to put in your mind influences your mind to make different thoughts and different pathways and everything else. I mean, if we look at the media, I don't watch the news, but I can find somebody who watches the news and they think the world's going to shit. I'm not going to tell you that there isn't some things going on in the world that aren't ideal, but I don't sit here and have a negative worldview of the world. My view is very positive that we can change this, right? And it's all about, it's the same thing of just whatever you're intaking is going to influence your belief system. That was very hard for me. And I wanted to start with that story just because to get somebody to understand like how far away what can happen when you have outside influence, especially in the pornography space, especially in a space in which you hide it and you're only dealing with yourself, 
how you can start to create a lot of illusions inside of your own mind that are not even in any way uh, aligned with who you authentically are. That's interesting, man, because you said a couple things that made me kind of chuckle back here. Number one, you talked about your internet connection, bro. I was in the day where there was the wavy channel. You remember that, bro? When you went like HBO and you didn't have, you didn't pay for the channel. So yeah. you'd catch a boob coming across every now and then. You'd be like, what the? You know what I mean? Like that sensation for that was, I mean, it's early on that they created that. And number two, it's interesting the confusion that porn gives us. Yes. To where our idea of what sex is supposed to look like. And then we see those images. And I loved how you put it, man. It seems like we're always chasing that next. I always apply it to craziness. Like we want that next step. Teach us that next step of sex. And boy, girl sex doesn't last very long. It doesn't excite you for so long. And then until it gets into some crazy. And I think that's where it's hard to start talking about sex addiction. You talked about, you know, it's shame. Shame's the emotion. And taboo is because we're having sex. But not only are we having sex, but we're having sex by ourselves, watching imagery. And so that's hard. When you start having to explain this to your wife, she's like, listen, here I am. I'm naked with you. I want to have sex with you, but it doesn't turn us on any longer. Yeah. And then what happens is that, and this is what happened with my ex-wife, is that she took it upon herself to self-deprecate herself, right? So she was... I'm not good enough for you. You're not attracting me. I'm not attractive, right? It starts to hurt her self-worth through the process. And also, you know, once I had come out about it, and then after I had that moment in which I was forced out, I like he's said, forced out, you know, two weeks later, I was staring at myself in the mirror and I was thinking about all the lies that I had told her and I started to have an anxiety attack, like a real one. I'd never really experienced one before. And I knew after that, because it was the thought of coming out and telling her about the lies. And I experienced the attack. I was like, I have to come clean about this. I have to talk about it. So that was the next step is I told her about all the lies I'd had and in the same gym parking lot, you know, tears are rolling down my face. And I'm, I'm telling her all this, her, all her intuitive suspicions of she chose to believe the lie, right? We continue to go on, right? But she knew. And then I was telling her that. I think that was the most hurtful thing. That was really the, there was a lot, there was a few things that was the downfall of the marriage, but feeling absolutely betrayed as if she had married, well, that's what she did. She married a projection of me and not all of me, right? And that is a terrible thing to do to anybody in a partnership, which is to not be transparent about who you are and what you're going through because you're taking, inversely, you're taking away the choice from them. They feel like they're being, they're choosing you, but no, they're choosing a part of you. And that's what happened. So the deception was inside of there. The manipulation was inside of there. And the lying was the result of those things happening that just ultimately pushed us apart. You know what I noticed in my in my addiction, Zach, is is how well, well, at least you think that you get at lying and being becoming manipulative. And then I noticed it started transcending from pornography to other aspects of my life. Like I was lying to people for no damn reason. Yeah. I'm looking at myself saying, you just lied about that, dude. Like, why? Where are you going? And you make up, a, it's, you're not even doing anything wrong, but you're making up a lie. Yeah, you've mapped that behavior into your subconscious. So that is just a part of what is normal for you. Um, and I experienced that all the time. You know, actually, when I went to see my, the sex therapist for the very first time, she didn't even talk about the porn. She wanted me to rate my honesty scale from one to 10. That was the first thing she talked about. And at the time, I didn't really understand it. But once I left, I really got it because I was like, oh, this is exactly what this is. It's, it's the deception. It's the lying. 
And it's all stemming from this emotion of shame and guilt. But one of the ways that I started to change myself in the process is I started to call myself out when I was doing it. So I would be in the middle of talking to somebody and lie. And then under, under humility, say, hey, I actually want to tell you that I just lied to you. This is something that I'm working on, and this is the truth. And that changed my behavior very quickly because I literally had the, I had to have the courage to call myself out. I wanted to change. I didn't want to be the person that I was because I knew the person that I was wasn't who I authentically am. It was all just protection mechanisms. When you started evaluating that, were you just blown away how many lies you told versus the truth? Oh, for sure. There's one of my favorite, I don't know if you've watched South Park, one of my favorite episodes of South Park is uh, Cartman and Jimmy, which are two of the characters, they create a joke. And Jimmy is the one that creates the joke, but then Cartman starts saying the joke more and then gets national media attention and everything else. And as the episode is going on, this little thought bubble and Cartman's trying to remember like how the original thing happens and it keeps shifting. And by the end of the episode, he has this story that he came up with it and he totally and 100% believes that he could, that he did because he's told it to him so many times that he's forgotten what the truth was in the process. And that happened to me for sure. I had so many different lies uh, about like my upbringing and like what I had done, all these different things that I knew weren't true inside of me, but I had said them so many times that they just became a part of me. Okay, so we got some men listening to this, and women, and talk to these guys. How would you, if a man's going through this right now, and they don't want to talk about it? For me, that was the hardest thing to talk about, is how far you're deep into it, and we always minimize it. We never give the whole truth. You know what I mean? Even, I bet you, when you were sitting there with your wife, you still were holding you back a little bit. Yeah, I call this phenomenon, you can be honest with yourself, but still not tell the truth, which is a lot of what men do is they'll sit there and they'll tell you the, the fluff version of a story. And then the last 10 seconds of their whole story is like, but, you know, I'm really struggling with this thing. And you know, I'm just working on it. You know what I mean? It's like this huge thing where we're not actually sitting inside of it. And that's actually that whole philosophy is what's brought me into being a really stellar coach in this space is because now that I used to lie all the time, I tell them I have a really good and I know it. And the thing that you want to put on the side is the thing that I zero in on. I'm like, no, this is the problem. This is what we need to talk about through that experience. How do we talk about it? Let's break that down. What do we tell these guys? I mean, and some of them, the unfortunate thing is maybe they end up in divorce. Maybe it doesn't end up the way they expect it because some of our wives aren't as, they're not as thoughtful. They're not as forgiving or whatever it is. So do you recommend they talk about it? What, I mean, what do you recommend as a coach? And what, let's dive into that. Well, so this is why we actually created the red pill method, you know, because of this. And, you know, the whole program is centered around, one, myself leading it and being able to be transparent and open. So how do you get somebody to open up? You, you, you take the initiative, right? I take the initiative of saying, hey, this is what I did. This is what I experienced. This is how I felt about myself. And you're going to know it. And that's okay. And then if I can be that way, then that creates a safe space for them to have permission to be vulnerable about the things that maybe they'd never said before. So step one is what I would tell any man that's listening is that you need to be able to have people in your circle that can give you a non-judgmental reflection and just will love you either way. And so the guy said, tell the guys all the way, I was like, you can tell me anything that you want and I will not think differently of you. And if you're a woman listening to this right now and your man is struggling with that, that's the approach that you have to start taking if you really want them to feel safe enough to open up to you. Man, but that's deep, bro. You know what I mean? Like, I'm thinking that when you said that about a guy, it's easy. It's easy having this conversation with the dude because he's probably experiencing 
maybe similar thoughts. Maybe he's not as deep as I am, but he's been through some he can understand. Now, we're talking about women here, man. We're talking about the sensitivity, and we are their knight in shining armor, and we're supposed to be the guy. And then we're displaying vulnerability, and we're displaying sin. And how do we do that? Well, really, vulnerability isn't weakness at all. It's actually the most courageous thing you can do. I've coached a gentleman that was in the military, and he said it is scarier, it is scarier and was scarier for him to actually open about, up about his PTSD and the problems that came from the military than to actually run out in front of bullets that would kill him. And that, yep, and that is, that is the ego being in control of somebody inside of their mind. So what I would tell you is we have to start reframing what is weak because the definition of courage is taking action despite fear. And sometimes these fears are easy, like in this sense. It wouldn't be easy for me to run out in front of flying bullets, but this gentleman could. Well, coming out about your deepest and darkest secrets so that you can release them and no longer feel them takes courage. And the fear is seemingly insurmountable, but it's not. It just It's the stories we tell ourselves of, what would they think of me? I don't want her to leave me. It's the fear of judgment. It's the fear of loss. But again, the truth of the matter is, is that you never gave your wife the a free will choice to actually choose you. And it's selfish. And that's not something that is ever going to fill you up. So until you can actually realize that what you've done the entire time has manipulated the reality around you to then to only see a part of you. And that's why you don't feel fully seen, fully heard and fully loved or understood. And it's all because of the reality that you've created. You have to sit in the responsibility of understanding that no, and this is nobody's fault, but your own. You have to take responsibility for that. And you got to sit and listen to it. Yes. You got to be willing. If you're going to talk about it, you got to be willing to take the good and bad that's going to come from it. Because your wife, your significant other, isn't always going to come out the way you think it's going to be. Maybe they're angry. Maybe they're pissed off. Maybe they pick up and leave. I mean, but you're absolutely right. That true courage, man, comes from being willing to talk about it. And also it's cultivated from the ability to be disciplined, right? So I always said that's a wonderful quote, and I, I can't remember the guy's name off the top of my head right now, uh, but he says that, you know, discipline is the chief element in self-respect. Self-respect is the chief element in courage. And courage is the chief element in joy and happiness and success, right? So number one, if you want to have courage, you got to respect yourself. The way you respect yourself is that you're disciplined to your values, your words, and what you say. This is why, you know, when I'm coaching guys, people in fitness, for instance, you know, which I did for a long time, they start feeling better about themselves because they're following a plan. They're going to the gym. The discipline gives them the confidence or the respect to have the courage to do something different, to make a choice that they may not have made before. But going back to, you know, again, what happens in the red pill method. So my co-coach, who's also my COO, Liv, she works with women uh, that are dealing with victimization, uh, dealing with codependency. Uh, dealing with trauma from partnerships. So we have live that's a part of the red pill method. And that's why this is a, what I believe to be a very unique offer inside of this space. Cause there's not a lot of, uh, there's not a lot of programs for this because of the shame, right? But if you can, we can look at pornography addiction and I saw a stat that came out. And it was like approximately 30% of Americans have struggled with porn at some time during their life. That's almost 100 million people. And that's just the 30% of the people that are willing to admit that they do it. Because now we're talking about shame of who actually won't talk about it. So this ocean is vast and it's vastly under-resourced. 
So by having Live inside of this program with us, it allows us to create the space. It allows for coaching for the woman, for the woman to, or the partner to understand that, hey, what the man is going through actually has nothing to do with you. This man probably had the addiction before you guys ever got married. This is something that's deep-seated inside of him, that's trauma inside of him, that although you are being affected by it, and that is true, you are not the cause of it. And victimization says that, that they would believe they were the cause, that they would believe that they were victimized by the experience and all these things. So that's what makes this special is that I get to work with the, the man, she gets to work with the woman, and then we get to bring them together and show them how to communicate in a non-biased and way in which actually breeds transparency. And transparency and love are the keys to healing. Transparency, number one, and then giving love to the transparency because of the courage that's come through that process. Man, I wish that this conversation would come up pre-marriage. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you know what I mean? Think about that. Like, my wife could have found out a lot of things about me. Then again, maybe I didn't have the courage to talk about it because of that embarrassment and shame. And what if she doesn't want to marry me because I am addicted to pornography? But I know that if I would have been mature enough to handle it, and with my, my wife that I'm married to now, which is my third wife, because of my just who I was in active addiction before we got married. And I would even say it was date one. I told her, Marin, listen, I'm in recovery for opioids and pornography. And what was crazy was she's had traumatic event from past relationships with individuals who were also involved in heavy pornography. Now she's trying to step into another marriage where I'm in recovery. And every time I do something, I could see that trigger her brain. Like, oh, he's home late, or he's on his phone too much, or he took the phone into the bathroom. All these things that we would do in our active addiction, it was triggering her. And, you know, these are mature conversations. And being that, being open and honest and transparent, hey, here's my phone, here's my combination here. You can get in my phone anytime. You can, you can search my phone calls. You can call the people and really open that up to, to create healing. What, are you, what do you offer to your client, Zach? To help them create that freedom in, because I believe what you're saying, that uh, discipline equals freedom, right? That's a Jocko Willing thing, man. I didn't understand that at first, but once I started living it, I'm like, oh man, totally. The way I go to the gym, the way I exercise, the way I eat, all that stuff creates that freedom in my life. But what are you teaching your men on how to have these open conversations and create that that vibe? Yeah, so... For the first part of it, it's like, okay, once I get them into a space with me and they understand that there's no judgment, uh, that I'm going to love them either way, you know, it allows for them to practice being transparent about something that they've never, maybe have never talked about, right? So that's the biggest thing. Like, if you just keep holding it in, the first initial release is such a healing moment. Even if it's not to somebody, you know, to your wife or something, it's just getting it out, right? And then once you start talking about it, now we can start looking at it and we can start to understand right? Why this is the case? Like what brought you to this place? So I have what I call three steps to healing, but I also call it three steps to speed. It literally works for everything. And the three steps are acceptance, understanding, and forgiveness. And the first step of acceptance is the resistance point because we don't want to accept. We want to be in denial, right? And denial is the lack of acceptance, right? So you can't actually heal something that you do not accept exists. So we have to do the acceptance. Once we get past the resistance point, and that resistance point is where the most pressure is built up, uh, where the most fear, all the stories, all the illusions that create that barrier, right? Just to break down those, that, those stories is huge. 
Then we can move into understanding. And now the understanding, it's all about trying to extract the lesson from the experience. Now, I heard you say something about sins. I'm just going to tell you, like, my, it's my belief that there are no sins. There are only lessons, right? The whole thing with sinning coming from religion did not equip us to actually understand how to deal with experience. Because we said, oh, if we sin, we just have God forgiveness. No, when you sin or you make a mistake, you understand why you made the mistake. And then you get the forgiveness part. But we never go through the understanding part. So then leftover shame and guilt and trauma is continuing to stick with us as we live our life because we feel like we've told, oh, well, if we just sin, we're going to ask for forgiveness and we no longer have it. The guilt is absolved. No, you still have the guilt. Like you still have to work through it. So the understanding process goes through really starting to extract the lessons from the experience so they can know what they learn from it. And the lessons become a fortification of the mind against the memories that come up. So, for instance, one of the ones that came to me that was a very powerful statement was that I was doing the best I could with the knowledge that I had. So whenever I started feeling regretful about losing my ex-wife or I started to feel regretful about my time with pornography, I would say, no, that was actually the best I could do. But the second part with the knowledge that I had motivated me to learn more and more and more. I was like, if that was my best and that was the results of my best, I know I can learn more and then I can be better. So it was always a fortification. So again, that memory, that trauma flash would pop up or a memory would pop up. And instead of choosing to attach my identity and my emotions to the thought, I simply said, I'm just doing the best I could with the knowledge I had, and it stopped the rhetoric. And then over time, with subconscious remapping, those trauma flashes, that rhetoric starts to go away because you act in alignment with who you authentically are. And that's a part of the discovery process as well, is, is understanding who you authentically are. You know, I, I say this all the time, this thing that's on my wall in the back, I don't know if you can actually see it, but I have something called the Invincible Shield, and it's defining seven areas of your life, clearly defining them, um, and what I consider the seven elements of authenticity. And what I was trying to tell people is that we give words enough respect to give them definitions, but we never define who we are clearly. And that's a huge problem. So once you know who you authentically are, once you understand why these things happen to you, you can actually start to see the purpose and you gain the peace of the mind through the process. And then from that last point of going through the understanding, you have to start forgetting yourself. And forgiveness, just like remapping the subconscious, isn't about, oh, I can just forgive myself once and it'll be fine. It's every time this thought pops up, I was doing the best I could with the knowledge that I had. Thank you. And the more I did that, again, the, the more the forgiveness actually starts to embody in who I am. So the biggest thing that I see when I'm actually helping these men is that they don't see a light at the end of the tunnel. They don't see that they can actually get through this. But what I've proven to them over and over again, and science supports this, that after six months of discipline and being consistent with the person that you want to be, you start to really remap your subconscious. So there's light at the end of the tunnel. And that's the problem when we're in the middle of porn addiction. We feel imprisoned and we feel like there's no way I'm getting out. So I like to give them like, no, this is real. Like give it six months and here's my story on how this happened. And you just need to be really intentional. And what we do with the discipline is I set up, I have a journal that's guided for them that we set up. It's definitely about creating intention. Right, because you lived your entire life intentionless or without awareness of your intention. And what I always tell them is that every intentional act becomes a magical act. Intention creates magic every single time. And once you start knowing your intentions, you know your core values, know who you want to be, and you start creating habits or actions from there that become habits, then you just literally reveal who you already were. But you were imprisoned by the mind and the ego and the stories, the illusion of fear that actually kept you there. Yeah, man, that being intentional is a big thing. I think that's something that we lose out on. A lot of people want to pay for all these courses and they want to join course. They want to be a part of a group, but they just want to be there. Yeah, it's, it's also, I guess. Making that change, that's hard, man, that being intentional. 
that's the trick, right? The trick is, oh, if I join this group, I've done something, right? But no, that's that's not the case. I, I, I coach a lot of guys that I call infobesity, where they feel like they're doing something by continuing to learn all these different reasons. I've, I've coached guys in front of me in porn addiction. They already know why it's happening. They've done all the science. They've gone to your brain on porn. They've all those things. I was like, cool. So why are you still doing it? Right? You know, it's damaging you. You know, it's causing you all this pain. So why are you still doing it? Because the brain thinks, oh, I'm doing something by learning about it. No, you have to actually start living it. And that's the hardest thing for people to do because that is where we start to step into where we actually have to admit that we were wrong and realize that we can be the person that we always thought we wanted to be. I always tell people all the time, like, you think you are afraid of judgment and loss. You are not. You're afraid of actually becoming the person you said you're going to be. Because if that wasn't the truth, then why do you keep choosing the fear of loss and judgment? In, in a very easy way, I could put love and fear in front of a person and say, choose one. And say, love. Like, interesting. Okay, cool. So why do you keep choosing your suffering every single day by fearing judgment and fearing loss? You can, this is what I tell them. I was like, show me what you do and I'll show you what you believe. You can tell me all you want, but your actions are what speak it. So it's, it's again, man, something I've gotten really educated about is understanding the ego and understanding the separative nature of the ego, the fear that it creates, the illusions that it creates, and realizing that that is the matrix. So this is where it comes to the red pill method. Like the matrix is not, you know, machines that are controlling our reality. We could have a debate about that. I don't really care. It is your mind. It is the thing, the ego inside of you that's creating the matrix that makes you believe that you have to live in a perception that is untrue. And then also the same thing happens when we go into the future. Matrix can be there as well. The only thing that is real and the only thing is true is the present moment. It's the only thing that's true. That's what it is about taking the red pill, living in reality. So you got that matrix pill thing going, right? Yeah. Is that where it came from, stem from? Where, where did you get the idea of it? Because everything's branding, right? Yeah, I definitely use it from that. Yeah, well, just thinking about it since the porn addiction, it's all inside of a computer, right? So it's, it is. It's a reflection of, of the matrix, you know? I mean, and that's what it is. When, when you're in porn addiction and you close the door, you do whatever you're going to do, and you start putting it on the computer, you are not in control. There's no intentionality. There's no anything. The computer is controlling you. The matrix is controlling you. And you have to realize that like you're stuck in an illusion that you've also participated in creating by making the choice of doing so. You know, something that's different about what we do is I won't villainize the, the porn industry. Now, I'm not here to tell you that the porn industry has some really dark and terrible things that happen. It's, it's one of the main, it's mainly responsible for all the child and sex trafficking that we see. You know, I do, we donate to a charity that actually helps with child and sex trafficking because that's what we do with what we, when people come in to try and help that industry. But when we vilify the porn industry, we're just being victimized by the porn industry. You're just going back to blaming and complaining that this thing exists. And that's not responsibility. So I tell them, I was like, it has nothing to do with the porn industry. It has everything to do with your choice to watch it. Yeah, you can stop anytime, bro. Yeah, it's your choice. But again, the ego creates a victimization, right, inside of that. So that's I'm really hard with them on a hard stance. And I tell them, I say, when you feel yourself blaming and complaining, the next thing you do is say, well, what would happen if I took 100% responsibility for what I'm blaming and complaining about? Because again, blame is another trick of the mind. You blame, and then you feel good because you blamed, but you've just projected the responsibility somewhere else. And then what do you do when you wake up the next day? Blame again, blame again, blame again. You never get out of the, the, the trick, the illusion, the prison that you've created for yourself. No, you're right, man. I'd love this. Hey, so I know that you're a podcast host of The Invincible intelligence podcast and then you have a second one called the fit couple group this is with your fiance julia you're doing some big things out there if i had, let's say i have some individuals that want to learn more about you 
I know you're all over the internet, brother. I know you're on YouTube. I know that you're on a podcast. You're on Links 101. You're on Bios. You're on LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, all under the same name? Yeah, all under the same name. Zach Blakeney, right? Yep. Yeah, that's okay. If anybody chooses to reach out to me or anything else, if you just DM me Red Pill, like I'll know that you came from this podcast. And, you know, I'm here to help anybody inside of that space. It's not just about being a client. Like if you need a reflection or you need advice, I'm just here to serve in that type of way. So it just makes it easy for me to know where it's coming from. Dude, I love that. But I do see you have some porn addiction quiz, some offers out there. Those are really cool for people to check. I actually went on it and checked it. It says I need the red pill. <laughs> Fair enough. I've been off a while, man. I've been clean since I was 42. I'm almost 50. So, hey, I love it, though. I always want to check myself and make sure I'm doing all right. You have an invincible intelligence assessment that's on there, an authenticity assessment. Man, that kind of drew my attention to it. I know you have some master classes. I know you're doing big things, Zach, and I, I appreciate it, man. Thank you for giving us an opportunity. Is there anything that you that I missed asking you that you want to share with, with the uh, the listeners? Yeah, I really want to talk about shame and guilt for a second and getting them to, I want you to listen, anybody that's listening in, to understand the true nature of what these emotions are. Okay, so shame and guilt are not darkness. They lie in your dark stories, but they're not darkness. Shame is a light in the middle of darkness. It's literally the lighthouse. and saying, hey, you feel shame, come and explore why you feel shame. But you see it all as darkness, so you keep resisting it. And every single day, you feel inadequate, you feel incapable, and you wonder, how am I never going to feel this way? Well, you keep avoiding the calling to discover how. So if we can start to reframe shame and guilt as being a light and not darkness, and every time you feel, oh, well, I feel a little bit of shame, and you literally sit there and say, okay, let me explore why. Now, if you're a porn addict and you're in the middle of addiction right now, you know why. Like, I'm speaking to your boy. I'm speaking to the God within you right now. You know why, right? But you're avoiding it, and you're not willing to sit in it. You're not, again, the resistance point of acceptance, you're not willing to accept it, so you resist it. And what you resist persists every single time. And the thing that, again, the mind does is, and it's, I talk about projection, right, which is what I'm talking about. We blame, complain, we're projecting. The other thing we do is we project our guilt out, right? So we project, we, we try and judge other people because we judge ourselves and we feel like judging ourselves has been successful in some sort of way because it's incarcerated us or it's changed our behavior, so we judge others, Right? But every time you project the guilt out, again, the mind just tricks it and it hides it from you and you wake up the next day feeling guilty. So anybody that's listening right now is what I want you to tell you is that if you, if you feel inadequate as a man, if you feel incapable, if you're feeling the shame, you're feeling the guilt, and you felt this way literally from now until when you're, if you're 35 or whenever you are and you keep feeling this way, the only way out is through. If not, you're going to continue to feel it. It's time to turn around and address it and realize that there's nothing weak about this. And realize that literally what's most personal is most universal. Everybody in this entire planet has dealt with shame and guilt in some sort of way, whether it's addiction or something else. Unworthiness is a plague, right? And we say, oh, no, I won't be worthy. Because you keep saying that you're not, but you feel like you are. So you have to start getting in touch with the emotional side of who you are. We have to start reframing this whole thing where these masculine norms has told us that vulnerability and transparency is weakness. No, vulnerability and transparency is the key to freedom which is the key to strength, which is the key to belief, which is the key to creating the life that you want to create. And then your dream transforms into an actual vision, something that can be done. So my thing is like, it's not about eliminating shame and guilt. You will never eliminate it. It's about balancing it. It's about addressing it and balancing shame and transforming it into love, transforming guilt into gratitude. And that transformation process starts with you taking 100% responsibility for your life where you are right now 
and the healing that needs to happen so you can create the most authentic expression of who you want to be. Man, that's dope. I like that. I've never thought about that. Shame is a motivator, but I like the way you put that, that shame's a lighthouse, bro. It's telling you, it's giving you those feelings like, hey, man, maybe this is a chance to pivot. You're doing something wrong. So I dig it. Thank you, man. I, I'm seriously enlightened. I, I want to keep working with you. I hope people listen to this. I hope my listeners say, hey, man, this guy's cool. And they go check out what you do. Seriously, there's not a lot of authentic people out there. Let's be honest. I mean, we hear a lot of people talking. We have a small amount of time to find out people are authentic or not. Within every single one of us. But again, shame and guilt block us from feeling the love that we truly want to feel and give. This is the problem. Right. And I said, I'm just like, I'm on a mission at this point for people to start seeing shame and guilt in a completely different light as a way as being a key to freedom rather than to continue to be incarcerated by them. Yeah, I appreciate your time. Thank you for being on the Chase the Vase podcast. Keep chasing your vase, brother, and align with truth. We'll talk to you soon, man. You've been listening to Chase the Vase podcast. Be sure to subscribe on Spotify, Anchor, or Apple Podcasts to get new, fresh weekly episodes. For more information, please follow us on Instagram, LinkedIn, and Facebook, or visit our website, chasethevase.com. Until next time, keep chasing the vase.